Good morning, and thank you for joining us on 5 at 8. It's Friday, March 1st, 2024. And here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we will talk about the renaissance of nuclear power on Earth and in space, President Putin's warnings of nuclear conflict in Ukraine, his State of the Nation address, Biden and Trump's visits to the U.S.-Mexico border, and On My Lay's photography exploring themes of war and displacement. Story number one. In a report from Al Jazeera, nuclear power is experiencing a renaissance on Earth and in space, with NASA and other organizations planning to launch nuclear-powered spacecraft by 2025 or 2026. Nuclear reactors are being developed for future moon bases, with the potential to use nuclear waste for power. Despite the risks associated with nuclear materials in space, researchers are working on nuclear-powered propulsion to push space exploration further. Nuclear engines could provide more power and flexibility for missions to Mars and beyond, potentially making humanity an interplanetary species by 2030. Are we on the verge of a space-age renaissance? Well, the renewed interest in nuclear power for space exploration initiatives seems to suggest so. This is no longer just about the Earth anymore. With NASA, DARPA, and ESA all planning to launch nuclear-propelled spacecraft in the near future, we could be looking at a massive leap forward in our capabilities. Voyager 1 is the perfect testament to this potential, a nuclear-powered space probe that has already given us so much valuable data from its journey into interstellar space. It's fascinating to see how nuclear power is not only experiencing a resurgence on Earth, but also in our quest for understanding the universe. However, the transition to nuclear power is not without its challenges. Safety, for one, is a crucial factor that can't be overlooked. The risk of rocket explosions and the potential spread of nuclear debris are real concerns that need to be addressed. True, Linda, we can't take safety lightly, but let's not forget we've been here before. The first nuclear reactor was launched into space as long ago as 1965. We've got almost six decades of experience in handling nuclear power in space, and I believe we've learned a thing or two in that time. It's a risk, yes, but it's a calculated one. And it's one that could potentially pave the way for humanity becoming an interplanetary species. Indeed, the potential benefits are immense. Nuclear propulsion could offer us a new level of flexibility in interplanetary travel. Instead of being bound by time windows and having to rely on gravity slingshots to conserve fuel, Nuclear engines could provide us with the power we need to explore space on our own terms. It's like upgrading from a Volkswagen to a Ferrari, as Professor Thomas put it. Well, I've always been a fan of Ferraris. But jokes aside, this is an incredibly exciting time for space exploration. With the right precautions and the right approach, nuclear power could really be the game-changer we need. I, for one, can't wait to see what the next decade brings for interplanetary travel. Neither can I, Mark. It's a brave new world out there, and it's up to us to explore it responsibly. As we push the boundaries of our capabilities, it's crucial that we maintain a focus on safety and sustainability. After all, the journey is as important as the destination. Story number two. President Putin of Russia warned the West of the risk of nuclear conflict if they intervene in the war in Ukraine. He stated that Western countries must understand the consequences of their actions as Russia has weapons that can strike targets on their territory. Putin's comments come as Western nations discuss the possibility of sending troops to Ukraine, a move that the Kremlin has warned would lead to direct conflict with Russia, as reported by the New York Times. Can you believe this, Linda? 
It's like we're back in the Cold War era. Putin's nuclear threat is a stark reminder of how precarious international relations can get. What's your take on this? It's distressing, no doubt. The world has seen enough of the devastating consequences of wars. As for Putin's threat, it's a clear indication of how high the stakes are in the Ukraine crisis. But we must remember that such comments are often a part of strategic maneuvering in geopolitics. Right. It's all a part of the grand chess game that is international politics. But uh, what about the NATO's role in this? They've been mentioned as a potential catalyst for this nuclear conflict. That's an important point, Mark. NATO is a significant player in this situation. Putin's comments could be seen as a direct challenge to the alliance, but we have to remember that NATO's primary goal is to ensure the collective defense of its member states. The involvement of NATO troops in Ukraine, although still a topic of debate, could escalate the situation further. Hmm, it does seem like a precarious tightrope to walk. And you mentioned strategic maneuvering, Linda. Could you expand on that a bit? Of course, Mark. In international relations, countries often use threats or posturing as a strategy to deter adversaries. It's a way of signaling their intentions or capabilities. This could be what Putin is doing, using the threat of nuclear conflict as a deterrent, but it's a dangerous game given the catastrophic consequences of any miscalculation. No kidding, the stakes couldn't be higher. It's a real test of diplomacy and crisis management, isn't it? It's a test of leadership, diplomacy, and most importantly, the commitment to peace. The world is watching closely, and it's crucial that all parties involved act responsibly to prevent any escalation into a full-blown conflict. Story number three. In a report from NPR, Russian President Vladimir Putin delivered his annual State of the Nation address, issuing nuclear threats to the West while promising victory in the war in Ukraine and economic prosperity at home. He denied U.S. accusations of planning to launch nuclear weapons in space and vowed to develop the country's military-industrial complex. Putin outlined long-term goals to improve the economy and announced new government programs for families, children, and businesses. Despite growing anti-war sentiment and political disqualifications, Putin received applause from dignitaries during his speech. I gotta tell you, Linda, hearing Putin's nuclear threats to the West while promising economic prosperity at home, it's like a rerun of the Cold War. You know, with all the bravado and power show, it's easy to forget the human cost of these political games. It's concerning how the West's involvement in Ukraine could potentially escalate things to a nuclear level. And let's not forget the economic implications of this for Russia. Despite Putin's optimism, sanctions are definitely going to put a dent in their economy. It's a classic case of external aggression coupled with internal optimism. But I think it's important to remember that this bravado, as you called it, is a strategic move. Putin's threats are meant to deter Western nations from intervening further in Ukraine. His economic promises, on the other hand, are aimed at reassuring his people amidst the turmoil. That being said, the potential economic fallout from these sanctions could be far-reaching and difficult to predict. Yeah. It's like a high-stakes poker game with the world watching. Except in this case, the chips are real people's lives and global stability. I mean, the risk of nuclear war? That's a throwback to the darkest days of the 20th century. But let's talk about the internal politics for a sec. With the upcoming election and the disqualification of an anti-war candidate, it's clear that Putin's administration is not taking any chances. Yes, the silencing of opposition voices is indeed concerning, Mark. 
It's reflective of a larger pattern of suppressing dissent that we've seen in other regimes as well. The disqualification of the anti-war candidate is a clear attempt to control the narrative. It's also interesting to note the growing anti-war sentiment among the Russian public. A recent poll suggests that a majority of Russians would support a peace agreement. This indicates a significant disconnect between the people's aspirations and the government's actions. Right, Linda. It's like the government's putting on this show of strength and unity. But beneath the surface, there's a lot of division and fatigue. And remember, it's not just about Ukraine and Russia. This war's effects go beyond these two countries. It's affecting global politics, economies, and security. It's a messy situation, to say the least. The reverberations of this conflict are being felt worldwide. It's a stark reminder of how interconnected our world is today. As we have seen in the past, such conflicts can have long-lasting effects on international relations and global peace. It's imperative that we keep a watchful eye on developments and seek to understand the broader implications. Story number four. Biden and Trump visit the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas, each emphasizing their ability to address illegal immigration. The issue is central to the upcoming presidential election, with both men accusing each other of hindering efforts to tackle border crossings. Trump promises mass deportations if re-elected while Biden stresses the need for more resources and bipartisan reform. The influx of migrants has strained resources in major American cities, leading to tensions between the federal government and some Democratic state officials. A federal judge blocked a controversial Texas law criminalizing illegal border crossings, a move supported by the Biden administration, as reported by the BBC. Tell you what, Linda. This whole situation at the U.S.-Mexico border feels like a tug-of-war between the Democrats and Republicans, doesn't it? Biden, our current president, seems to be urging for more resources to police the border, while Trump, on the other hand, promises to take care of the issue of illegal immigration if he's re-elected. It's like they're both playing a game of one-upmanship. I see where you're coming from, Mark, but what's concerning to me is the high number of migrants detained during Biden's tenure. Over 6.3 million. It's higher than any previous presidencies. But, as the experts say, the reasons for this spike are complex and some factors predate his government. Yeah, Linda, you're right. It's not as simple as pointing fingers at one administration or another. We gotta remember that. And you know, it's also key to note that Trump's approach was pretty hardline, with his promises of mass deportations and all. And what we also need to consider is the human element in all of this. There are stories of migrants like Karen Diaz from Venezuela and Dilcia Guillen Oliva from Honduras, who are struggling to find shelter and work after arriving here. It's not about handouts. It's about finding a steady job and a safe place to live. Couldn't have said it better myself, Linda. The human element often gets lost in these political debates, doesn't it? We need to remember that these are real people with real struggles. We need a solution that's both practical and humane. Story number five. In a report from CNN, Anne Mylay's photography explores themes of war, displacement, and history without focusing solely on combat. Her work delves into the psychological aspects of military existence and the impact of war on individuals. Lee's current exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art, Between Two Rivers, draws connections between river delta regions worldwide. Through her series, Events Ashore, she examines the daily lives of non-combat personnel on maritime vessels, highlighting power structures and interpersonal dynamics. 
Lay's photography captures the complexity and ambiguity of human endeavors within larger contexts, offering a nuanced perspective on the consequences of war and imperialism. Is it just me, Linda, or does On My Lay's work make you reconsider the usual narrative of war photography? I mean, her focus isn't primarily on the act of combat itself, but rather, she's captivated by these ambiguous, liminal spaces of military existence. Her work is a fascinating exploration of the psychological aspects of warfare beyond the machinery and mythology. For instance, 29 Palms offers a glimpse into the training and preparation that young soldiers go through. Not just the physical rigor, but the mental and emotional conditioning as well. Yeah, you're right. It's like she's saying, hey, let's look at this from a different angle. It's not about the explosive action. It's about these quieter moments, the anticipation, the tension, and the reasons and consequences of going to war. It's a fresh perspective and really makes you think. Yes, and she extends this sense of contemplation and meditation to her other works as well. Her series, Events Ashore, provides an intimate look at the daily lives of non-combat personnel aboard maritime vessels across different continents. It's a reminder of the vast network of power structures needed to maintain control in peacetime. Absolutely. And also her work depicts the grandeur and the awe-inspiring force of nature. It's like the human efforts are dwarfed against the untamable forces of the seas. It's both awe-inspiring and humbling at the same time. But what I find even more intriguing is that, for Lay... Her work isn't just about exploring the complexities of military existence or human endeavors. It's also about connecting to her personal history, her experiences as a Vietnamese refugee. There's this constant dialogue between the personal and the global, the past and the present. It's a profound exploration of borders, of displacement, of connections and disconnections. I agree, Linda. It's a truly unique perspective. And it's great to see an artist like Anmi Lay using her craft to show us a side of war that we don't often see or think about. It's a reminder of the role that artists play in helping us understand complex social phenomena and historical events. Yes, Mark. And it's a clear demonstration of how art can challenge us, provoke us, and make us see things from a different perspective. It's a powerful tool for fostering empathy and understanding, and for encouraging us to question and reevaluate our own views and assumptions. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.